greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CEDH. I'm one of your hosts, Lyndon, aka Noobzors, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt, aka Null. Hey. Reed, aka Sick Robot. Howdy, howdy. And Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? And in this episode, we will be covering playing through slash around centralizing cards. Um, and through the title, I'm sure, you know, you can figure out what some of those cards are. Uh, Mystic Remora, maybe one of the most centralizing cards uh, in the format. So we'll be getting into some of that uh, in the main topic. But before we do any of that, uh, what have you guys been up to since the last episode? And before you say anything, I'll start. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Subtle. I, I want to just brag about... Um, playing uh, i was jamming there was a historic challenge on magic arena um i think a week ago as of the recording of this uh and i absolutely cleaned house uh i ran the i was just farming the challenge over and over again i seven won it twice i think i had an overall win rate of 76 percent uh using a deck that Jeez. was not uh an established meta deck uh, which you know low-key i think that it's one of the best decks in the format that no one knows about it's uh Dragonstorm combo. So, uh, to any historic aficionados in our uh, listener base, you know, if you wanna, you wanna know about that list, uh, hit me up. <laughs> um, you have to sign up to the OnlyFans for that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, yeah. You have to be, you have to, you have to be a max tier, max tier patron to get a, uh, to get deck lists, of course, you know. Oh God. And and coaching Please. sessions, of course. You know, it's a, it's, yeah, it's it's a whole ordeal. I will... you know? I will quit the podcast if we ever sell tech lists. That's, <laughs> Live. that's Live. my promise to all of our listeners. Mm. So now I know how to force Morgan out. Excellent. Have <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, you guys done anything, or, or should we move on? I know I, I know. I just want to brag a bit, but if, if you guys have anything you want to brag about or tell people about, then... Uh, yeah, just regular day-to-day things. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, jumping into housekeeping... Uh, we have a new patron. Uh, so big shout outs to Joseph T. You rock. Uh, you I feel rock. like you said that like there was going to be a follow up, but there wasn't. <laughs> you psyched me out because I'm next. And I, I like Sh- looked at the list. Sh- he's making, he's making all of our listeners feel guilty for not being patrons <laughs> already. <laughs> to he Joseph T. And it could have been your name here. But... Yeah. Um. Cool. So, moving on to new developments. Um, I think, based off the last episode, it's not so much a new development, um, but we're going to Tier 1 Con. Woo! <laughs> That's... But, like, for real this time. Like, we're actually <laughs> yeah. pretty confident now. <laughs> yeah, so, previously we were a bit uh, unsure because we weren't, we weren't sure when we were going to be getting our second dose because the Ontario government, hooray. Uh... So but, uh, initially we weren't sure Canada? if we were going to getting the second dose until like after tier one con. And then uh, I think Morgan and uh, sorry, uh, Matt and Reed, you guys both have your second pokes and then yep. mine scheduled in a, for, for a couple days and Morgan hopefully soon after. So turns out Canada is doing it not too bad in the standings. Yeah. Canada and Ontario sort of kicked your asses into gear and got everybody vaccinated. So <laughs> hell yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we're really looking forward to going um, and and uh, hopefully meeting some of you guys there. Uh, I know the last time the last time I went to a convention, 
where I got to see uh, some listeners and interact with other people was GP Vegas, and that was a ton of fun. And I think Tier 1 Con is going to be even better, so I am absolutely stoked. Imagine just being Linden and completely forgetting about everyone who came to GP Montreal. Oh, yeah, we did okay. go to GP Montreal, we but we were hanging out with people agree. who that we knew. That psyched me out. Right? I was like, was Vegas really Couldn't after Montreal? Me, no, but we, we, we were hanging out with, with, with other people. We, we, we didn't meet any like new, dedicated listeners or, or like people who... who... We met a couple people, but... Yeah, yeah, sure. Shout out to, to all the people who we met in much. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. What a dick. What a guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tier 1 Con. Hype, 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 hype. Uh, let us know for sure. Uh, you know what? I, just go go to the Discord. Let us know if you're going to be going to uh, to Tier 1 Con so then maybe we can uh, organize like a, a, just, you know, maybe a meet, meet and greets or something like that. That'd meet be up. super dope. I mean, um, definitely, be... if you're there, yeah. definitely come up and say hi. It's like, yeah. <laughs> we don't, most of us don't bite. Yeah, and if you're wondering what we look like, we're the nerdy looking it. ones, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> we, I'm lost in the sh- crowd of 300 nerdy looking people. Dang. If we have shirts, we might even wear them, you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, and, and also, yeah, definitely refer to us by our, our Discord usernames. I love that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not, no, yeah. Like, I say that, when I say that, I'm not meaning that sarcastically, because it's honestly fun when people say, oh my god, you're, you're noobzors, or, or whatever. It's like, that's so cool. It's such a, such a unique experience. Um, yeah, uh, Reed, new developments. Uh, your, yours is up next. Yep, so talked about this two podcasts ago at this point, because um, I wasn't on the last one. Uh, so new database update is up and out and good to go up and running go check it out uh, i just wanted to say that yeah you should all submit your list for the next review cycle because it's uh the community that helps keep the resource the uh way it is and helps keep making it better so submit your lists get it on the brewer's corner get some feedback all that good stuff cool cool, cool. uh next up morgan you want to get this one yeah uh, so I was a guest on the Playing With Power podcast, and that episode should be coming out sometime, I believe they said near the end of July. It may wind up being after our next episode, um, rather than after this one, but I wasn't sure it might come out between the two episodes, so I figured I'd just give you all the heads up and you know, keep an eye out for that, because uh, I had a good conversation with Ryan from Playing With Power. Hot, dude. Uh, hope you shelled our podcasts uh, tons. I tried. Good, 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 good. I was gonna say because you know, in under new developments, we have the playing with power podcast, which they're 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 on like episode three or something right now. I think right. Yeah, I think I'm like episode four. I was gonna say like as a new development of their podcast, I was gonna say I don't think there's many people who listen to our podcast who who might who wouldn't know who playing with power are as opposed to the opposite direction. Um, but yeah, no, that's awesome. I look forward to listening. Um, but yeah, that's it for new developments, and uh, we can get into the main topic, which again is playing through slash around centralizing cards. So I think throughout this topic, we're going to mainly be talking, we're going to be talking a lot about fish. Um, and also we kind of were discussing pre-show about how we're going to do maybe a second episode to discuss um, a different category of cards. So we kind of made made two distinctions one which is cards that give you freedom of of choice 
Um, they they don't they they say like you know when something happens, do something. When an, when an opponent casts a card, uh, a non-creature spell, uh, draw a card unless they pay four. Right. The the opponent can choose to play as many non-creature spells as they want, zero or ten. Um, but something like a rule of law, which again is a very centralizing card, um, can't really do that. Uh, it's it's very much you can the only the only thing available to you is how to time your your uh, spells um, and and how to approach your game plan so that sort of thing so we're going to be doing uh, those kinds of cards in another episode but in this episode we're going to be focusing on uh, the likes of um, Mystic Remora Ristic Study Wandering Archaic that sort of thing Crom yeah yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, well, just to clarify a tiny bit, I think specifically ones that probably produce um, hidden information are treated a bit differently than ones like Smothering Tithe, Smothering Tithe which don't. And I guess Wandering Archaic in that sense, mm-hmm. too. So our first kind of subtopic we have is around versus through. Because <laughs> in the topic I said playing through slash around, so, you know, they aren't, they aren't just synonymous with each other. There, there is a difference. And we were discussing it a fair bit pre-show, so I mean, let's let's just get into uh, what is the difference between playing around something versus playing through something. So I think like the easiest place to start, because there's certainly some overlap or some controversy. The easiest place to st- start is that um, when you don't know for certain that it's happening, uh, but you're playing to mitigate the effect of it does. That's playing around. So casting your spells like you have a lotus petal in your hand you're just going to drop it turn one so if someone after you plays a fish you don't have to give them a card that also plays around something like a wheel um stuff like that would be playing around i think it gets a little bit more nuanced like is you know you could say that like casting your instant speed tutor in response to a fish i would probably consider that playing around um but you know playing playing through versus around like you could you know there's a little bit of nuance of like you know sometimes you pay for one person's ristic study and not the other like are you playing through one ristic study and around the other um you know there there is some some nuance to like what various people would consider to be playing through uh once the cards are in play but certainly before they're in play I would say is playing around them. Cool. Yeah, I think I think a classic example and the one we were discussing pre-show on whether how to, you know, really define around versus through was the counterspell example and, you know, if you're if you're making a play and your opponent has, you know, so many and this is I guess more of a 60 card thing, but I guess it's still applicable to CDH where you're like I'm going to play around my opponent having a force of will. Yeah, you if you just change your sequencing, you're able to maybe play around that to some extent. That's that's playing around and then playing through is maybe if they have a revealed force of will or maybe that is still playing around. That's where some of the nuance comes in. But yeah, typically playing around is uh, it, it can be a lot of the hidden information like Morgan was saying. Um, but yeah, so now that we have that sort of um, those definitions kind of in mind, we can move on to the actual, you know, how to play through and around these cards. And so the first category we, we kind of or the first maybe perspective that we wanted to touch on was how to be how to play around these cards from a table perspective versus a selfish perspective um so do any of you guys want to want to start on this one 
Well, you should just be selfish because it's a prisoner's dilemma, right? Mm. Yeah, it's the one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's being selfish. So, I mean, it's so, so, be selfish. Okay. First, first sort of key thing to explain about this that I think, I've, you know, I've certainly seen it described as a prisoner's dilemma. Uh, the key thing about prisoner's dilemmas is that the choices are made simultaneously, or at least in such a way that you don't actually know what the other person chose, and yep. you can't base your choice based on that. So, you know, sometimes it is correct to be selfish, but when you're being selfish, you have to keep in mind that it's not just evaluating, you know, is this play worth my opponent drawing one card? Because it's very likely that you're going to prompt your other opponent, like the other opponents, they'll see you do something, give it a card, and essentially use that as justification. It's like, well, I don't want to fall behind, so I'm also going to make a developing play that's going to give a card. And so, like, really a more, a more accurate sort of heuristic would be, is this play worth my opponent drawing three cards? Which is obviously... Very, very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's. Sometimes it is correct to be selfish, and that's one thing that you know the whole "don't feed the fish," blah blah blah. Like that's you know it's a very good heuristic, but there are times when you can't afford to fall behind yourself because ultimately yeah. you're trying to win the game. You're not playing to not lose. Um, and, I, yeah, and, I, mean, I mean, it's like the yes. the default should almost always be to pay for, like, fish specifically, we'll probably get into this a bit later, but, like, fish is sort of a different case compared to a lot of the other effects like this, but the, um, the default is usually to pay for these kind of things, um, or just, like, not let your opponents gain advantage, but there are certainly, like, a lot of exceptions to the rule where it's, uh, prob like, it's in your favor to, um, like, just let them have the yeah. advantage. If you're a turbo deck and your primary way of winning is by surprising people in the early game and you it, it doesn't make sense all the time to just yield to the mid game um to wait for the fish to die. Mm. But sometimes it does. And also like there there's other niche scenarios as well. Like we've talked about this kind of stuff before like where if you're the only other rock deck at the table, like if somebody plays a fish and then the two other opponents are on dark decks and they're probably not going to be feeding it and you're the only person on a rock deck, like it you just, to, in order to keep up, you just have to feed the fish, because there's no way that you can afford to let everybody else play all their acceleration out, and then you just have to sit there and not play anything. I guess yeah, the, the kind of, like, one sentence uh, key here is, like, set the pace. Kind of realize, like, how much advantage you can actually give away, mm -hmm. and don't try to break that, I guess. Yeah, I... The the comment about like you know the rock versus dork decks. I just remember playing, playing. I forget who I was playing against, but it was like exactly the situation. I was one of the dork decks. The other person was on a dork deck, and then this person I think was going first, and basically like kind of extracted a you know a, an informal agreement from the people. He was like, I don't you know I don't want us all to feed this fish. So you know like are you guys cool to not feed the fish like you know, we can all hold back a little bit and just let it, you know, let it die like it was an early fish. And me and the other dork deck went like, sure. <laughs> and then what wound up happening was like, it, you know, it was out for two turns. I played like 
land dork into you know land timna or whatever it was the person after me did something similar the fish finally goes away and then uh the the rock deck like throws out like you went like you know two mana rock into mox opal into ponder into something and like i went like all right cool uh thrasios into ponder and the other person went like thrasios into imperial seal or whatever and he was like wait you guys basically he he like after the fact was like you guys couldn't even have fed the fish even if like we hadn't agreed not to we were like yeah. But you agreed not to. Like, <laughs> and so, you know, you don't want to put yourself in that sort of situation where, you know, everyone's making a quote-unquote sacrifice, but you're actually sacrificing something a lot more valuable than your opponents. Yeah, I mean, this it's also a case that comes up, um, even, like, independent of the actual uh, card types that everybody at the table is playing. Um, it can also come up in uh, turn order, where... Um, and this especially becomes the case if, like, one person got a turn before the fish, and then the fish comes down and two people are, like, outside of the fish, is that you'll see a lot of the time the decision tends to be made that the people behind the fish will spend, like, their first turn, like, feeding the fish one or two cards apiece just to get up to speed so that they don't f immediately fall behind and, like, hand the game to the player in first, or the player that, like, played before the fish. Yeah, that's... That's an effect that that I feel like is like even more amplified with some of the some of the effects that aren't a choice, but yeah, just the huge advantage you can get from like one extra turn without the effect. I, I think it's also a little bit more amplified with turn one Ristic studies because yeah, oh, like certainly. it's actually quite realistic to start paying on your second turn if you like yeah. got to develop and, and on your first turn. And also like there's no like a turn one Ristic study isn't going away without external intervention yeah. so like you might as well feed difference. it early and like keep up to speed rather than just like try to pay for it losing tempo and then eventually end up having to feed it anyway eventually one thing one thing i like to do and this is more from the table perspective is that i like to be vocal as soon as i see a fish come down early where we can i like to just get a pulse on what other people are thinking it's like so we're all we're all agreeing that you know we can we can kind of starve this thing out or whatever like you, you get a pulse on on what people are thinking if someone says you know i i can't afford to to do that i've got to do i've got to play some amount of cards then then you know that you're not going to be you, you don't want to feed you don't want to feed the fish player too many cards but at the same time you don't want to be the first person like morgan said to uh not play into it and then have your your next two uh players play into it because now you're the furthest behind um it's 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 it is very tough. The 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 one thing that maybe is like also a bit kind of scummy is that if you if you're the last person, like let's say player A has a fish and you're you're player D, uh, if player if player B and C both kind of took turns off to play around the fish, and then you can be like, well, I I can I have a great opportunity to kind of just get ahead now. Like that that's something that might be tempting. But if the fish is going to be around for a while, then you know all you're, you're just signaling to the next to, to player uh, B and C that you you know I'm I'm not going to be a team player, and then they should just be feeding the fish as well. So yeah, you got to be very cognizant of how your actions uh, signal the other players and and how that will uh, how that will play out. Yeah, um, it's it's the, yeah. like playing through a lot of these effects is like you have to weigh the short term 
gains, the short-term games uh, gains. Jesus, that that is a hard one to get through. <laughs> I guess <laughs> the short-term gains of uh just like playing through them and not um like not respecting them versus like you might say, okay, well I'm getting a benefit for this, and the person like the other person is getting a benefit for this, but I think it raises my probability of winning more. Um, but if you're just operating on that logic, then you're not looking a bit more to the future, which is that you're like, you're not actually getting as much of a benefit as you think compared to the person with the value effect or the recurring effect in play where other people will then choose to not like respect it. And then they get way more benefit out of it than you did. Just to kind of make that clear. Like they're pretty much, there pretty much aren't really any plays that are going to be better than, um, like if you're playing through to like a later stage in the game, there pretty much isn't anything that's better than drawing a card for every single spell your opponent casts that yeah. you could do. Unless you're setting up a win, in which case you're not trying to get to the next stage of the game. Yeah, there, there's a there's a couple there's a couple plays where I I think it's yeah, especially in the early turns if if the fish comes in. And we we can get into this because our next category uh, we're going to talk about is. How to how the play changes depending on when the fish comes in. So actually, let, let's just let's just move on to that, and then and then I can sort of chime in. So yes, when the fish comes down is changes completely how how you're playing around it. Ristic a ristic study, um, as it was pointed out, maybe maybe less so. Uh, you can start paying for it right away, and it's going to be there for a long time. So there's no really starving it out. Um, but a fish is fish is a bit different. So I am generally not a fan of turn one fish uh, as the as a player who who could be playing the fish. What what, what do you guys think about that? Uh, and and we can discuss why from I mean uh, that like other perspectives. Yeah, there are yeah, a lot I, of contextual decisions that need to be made there than just saying like blanket don't play turn one fish. I don't well, know. sure, sure. Let's say you're you're player A uh, on the play land fish. Do you, do you play that? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm not trying to immediately set up a turn two or three win. And I'm looking for interact. I'm looking for uh, the, another. You're looking to have it just be a, a draw or... spell, like like people might often be, like a value piece. I just just draw a couple cards. Maybe it's a, it's an ancestral recall. It 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 hugely depends on what's else what else is in my hand. If I'm going first, I think it's a much better play on average um, than not going first because you can actually catch like like when you, you know when you give everyone that free turn, there's going to be that person who plays like land lotus petal right of flame two mana rock and like if you don't <laughs> play your fish turn one then you just gave up a recall on that sequence um especially like i think you know there are arguments depending on the matchup if you think you know for example um especially when you have the dorks you can act like it's actually often quite playable to sort of go land fish land dork on turn two yeah and then you can even keep it on turn three and and still have a mana up for like you know you you actually have two mana up like one from your land and one from the land that you play um but obviously if you go land dork land fish then you have an extra mana on each of your turns and you can keep the fish around for like sometimes a very very long time so it would depend on like do i think that Am I trying to catch people's like mid-range development, or am I trying to catch their early explosive turns? And that hugely depends on what kind of deck you're playing against. Like, obviously, if you play your fish on turn one and everyone else goes cool, land dork. Like, 
yeah, you look like an idiot. But if you're playing as, like, three Rog Silas players, then you're just like, uh, yes, yeah, exactly. please. Yeah. I was gonna say, like, let's just say you are faced with that decision. Um, what do you think is, like, the minimum threshold? Like, does it just take one deck that you know is super explosive? Well, I think... Uh, I, yeah, it, it also depends, ahead. I think, honestly, if, like, if there's one of those decks at the table, but, like, they mulligan, like, they, they're an aggressive mulliganer, then, like, I'd be more inclined to play the turn one fish because it's more reasonable yeah. to think that, like, they would have the turn one accelerant because they mulligan toward it, right? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would play it into, like, one turbo deck and two, like, you know, bare minimum rock, like, oof supporting type yeah, decks. Yeah, yeah, No, certainly but, not. But, like, so I'd probably play it into... If if the pod was like one, you know, heavy dork light rock deck, one mixed deck, and one heavy rock deck, I'd probably play it turn one that, on the play. Yeah. I think I'd kind of had the same initial like judgment. So interesting that you guys you, for for me, I think I, I, I think for me it's, it's 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 it can be dependent on matchup, but for me a lot of the time it is uh often about looking at my own hand and my development. Uh, if I am playing the turn one, so unless I have some kind of follow-up and, and I'm able to go, like, you know, turn one fish, land dork, like Morgan said, you can you can often be locking yourself into paying for a fish to, to kind of reap reap the value from it uh, at, at a cost to your development. And unless you have some really good catch-up mechanisms, uh, you can actually fall behind the table if people choose to play around it, which is kind of why we want to talk about, you know, when. And because from the opponent's perspective, if your opponent, let's say, is not on a dork deck, right, and they don't open with like a, a soul ring or, or a mana crypt to help just support their fish while also making plays that advance their own game plan, uh, starving out the fish is actually a reasonable idea. Uh, in the case where it's a green deck or like a, a dork deck, where maybe maybe they go turn one fish and they have the the turn two land dork. Or in the other case where it's like turn one land dork, turn two fish. Th those kind of scenarios are ones where starving out the fish becomes uh, less of a reasonable idea. And I think that's something that people uh, definitely need to consider both from playing the fish and from playing against the fish. Starving out the fish is not always a, uh, a, a reasonable option. Yeah, I, I did want to comment on... Sorry, I just wanted to comment on like your... The apprehension to... Uh, play out the fish turn one sometimes because you'll be stuck playing for it. I think actually a lot of the times that like people get stuck paying for a fish that so they don't really have the mana to do and they're just like making land drop pay for fish do nothing. I feel like a lot of that is actually sort of like a sunk cost thing that um, I feel like a lot of people aren't super great at evaluating when to just like let a fish let go, go even yeah. if it didn't do enough uh, and just like yeah. accept that it was sort of like a semi time walk and then just get on with your life after it. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you know, sometimes you mulligan to the point where you kind of need the fish like you to, need to the draw fish. cards, yeah. and that's fine. But but yeah, I, I certainly know what you mean. Where some people will like, they'll it's like, well, it hasn't drawn me the six cards that's supposed to draw me yet, so I'm just going to keep paying for it. Where it's like, okay, but yeah. you know, you you got your you got your time walks off, like just you know, you you got your value from the fish, even if it wasn't like exactly the the type of value you maybe were hoping for um so you know take it and and be happy and and move on and and get it to actually developing yeah your play in the game yeah 
And like of course, another as, as kind as of point to add to. Oh, sorry. Um, I just want to kind of make a distinction, which is there are kind of two type of types of dork decks. There's the types of dork decks that can follow their dorks up with bigger dorks, and paying for the fish for a prolonged period of time in that type of deck is fine because you still are increasing your available mana turn after turn. But if you are kind of like, I don't know, like playing the one the, the one mana set of dorks and you don't really have any of the bigger ones, then it becomes you set your you set your mana each turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is all dependent on where you are in seating. Because if if you're if you're you know player D, then you know going your your turn one fish is everyone else's turn two, and then that's just yeah, it it, it can be a lot easier for your opponents to still be uh, making plays that progress their board state um, with that, or or to stall stall out the fish if you don't have something to do. I I I'm gen- I generally like holding a fish for unless they have like a, a crypt or soul ring or something. Uh, for turn two if i'm in a non-dork deck or even dork decks as well because i can go like you know turn two uh let's say a you know arcane signet into fish it just puts you in a lot better position to still advance your board state Um, yeah obviously if you have something like an arcane signet then then holding the fish makes a lot more sense because Mm -hmm. you can like you can if if you play the fish turn one then you lock yourself out of the arcane signet until the fish is gone or you draw some other sort of accelerant Whereas if you play the Arcane Signet into it, then you have, like, three mana a turn, plus paying for the fish, as long as you keep up your land drops. Um, I think that that's, like, a an obvious case where you don't play it turn one, or, like, you're much less likely to play it turn one. Um, versus if you have no acceleration in your hand, or you have... Obvious- I think one mana acceleration makes me more likely to play it turn one, two mana acceleration makes me less likely to play it turn one. It's, like... the sort of basic idea so i think the moral of the story with fish is there's not many cards that are just so good that you're always gonna want to play it as soon as possible it does depend on uh boards match up your hand what your your turn seating and and, and all of that although there might be some exceptions with uh for example ristic study where it might just be right to play it as soon as possible um, and that's something that we can we can discuss now. Is is slamming Ristic Study as soon as possible, assuming that you don't have to like you know try and defend it with some additional mana? That's the only that's one of the main reasons I would think to uh, to want to wait on my Ristic Study is that it's so powerful that I want to have um, mana up to potentially defend it. But other than I that, mean, yeah, I who's gonna want like... that in as the the sooner that card is in play, the sooner you can start uh, impacting the game with with that card's I, ability. I feel like if we're talking about casting a turn one or turn two, like the list of things that counter a risk study on turn one or turn two is so small that I'm just gonna like almost jam it yeah. every time. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and risk study is also one that it's just better earlier because like yeah. with fish, obviously it gets harder and harder to keep around. So like there is an element of it being better later. But with Ristic Study, its strength is only affected by like how if, how easily your opponents can pay for it, and obviously that just gets easier and easier as the game goes on. So, it like with Fish, you might actually draw more cards later on when stuff is happening. Um, whereas with Ristic Study, generally the best turns to have it are those earlier ones where people can't afford to pay for it. So before we move on to the next um, section, which I guess we've already touched on a bit, but we, we can come back and, and kind of for some more. Uh, I wanted to t- mention Wandering Archaic uh, and, and talk about the Wandering Archaic from the 
table perspective and the kind of when idea. So from the yeah, table, so this is an easy one. Pay for wandering archaic. Yeah, there's <laughs> there is except no except one like the coffee thing doesn't actually do anything. But yeah, yeah, Pay or or on a turn yeah, where you're trying sure. to combo and it it does it's like you well, you resolve no, the silence I, or so you're you're you're, no, you're, you're yeah, able yeah. to like fight through something and it's like well i'm not going to pay for this demonic tutor that i'm going to cast or something along those lines um and from the table perspective wandering archaic it's kind of interesting because it's it unlike fish where giving your opponents extra cards i guess there are times actually not nothing about it, when ristic study and fish if it's in a game game deciding counter war you know sometimes the out is to draw your opponent's cards with fish or ristic study that happens but most of the time, it's always to your detriment that an opponent is drawing cards. Uh, Wandering Archaic, on the other hand, it completely depends on what side of the... Um, uh, of, are you trying to respond to someone trying to win, or are you trying to win yourself? Because if you're trying to respond to someone winning, uh, casting a counterspell and then not paying the two, and then having another uh, your, your Wandering Archaic opponent get an additional counterspell to help defend is, uh, is actually a boon. So... Yeah. Can I just say I love how political wandering archaic is sometimes. That's such a God. great like Yeah. Can I just, yeah. can I like, just say you know, I hate how hard it is to try to win through wandering archaic <laughs> all the time? <laughs> yeah. I think that it's truly really what makes wandering archaic so strong is it makes it very hard for your opponents to win through it or to do things proactively for their own. It it makes it very difficult for your opponents to do things proactively for their own game plan and then it makes it great for you trying to uh resolve your own game plan as the archaic player. So it's very strong that in that sense. Just be prepared that if you tap out for a Wandering Archaic, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, how Wandering Archaic is one of those cards because of the effect it has, you you can feel more comfortable tapping out into it. That if your opponent Gilded Drakes it, that you're you're in for a, a world of hurt. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. But also make deals to get double removal spells with your Wandering Archaics. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I I have loved those experiences of like okay I'm casting this red elemental blast but it's on the condition like and I won't pay it for it but it's on the condition that you kill that crom. <laughs> uh, so and, and regarding wandering our kicks the the when discussion uh, I want to get your guys' takes on if it's right to how how correct is it to tap out for an archaic versus hold up interaction to potentially protect your archaic. I'm always afraid of Gilded Drake so never. Honestly, I just don't play good creatures because then people take them with Gilded Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Damn Gilded Drake win, man. Come on. Actually, Dude, that's, that's why I play Cody. You just play no good Gilded Drake whole thing. Gilded Drake has like an actual likelihood of getting banned, I feel like. But, I, I I certainly hope anyway. so. That card is obnoxious. Yeah. Okay. I feel like it's I feel like it's unfortunately too expensive and uncommon. Like it's past the threshold where if it was way cheaper, I feel like it would have a little bit of the, like, Psychonic Rift effect of people being like, this is obnoxious, it happens all the time, and it's a huge pain in the ass. But it's, like, a 300 or something dollar car. I don't know how much it is now, but it keeps, it keeps going up. I can't keep up. It's, yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's twice as much as the last time you... It's a hundreds of dollars <laughs> yeah. card. And so, like, yeah. casual players just don't run into it that often. $392.87. Okay. $300. So, Matt, like here's, here's the solution to that. 
you and Lyndon start the mid-power podcast and then just shield Gilded Drake relentlessly. Oh, God, no. <laughs> to get a band. That feels like yeah. a mid-power like podcast my... shilling $400 cards. Yeah. No, I'll freely, whoever's Dab. listening to this, if you have any connection to Sheldon's playgroup, I will freely send you a Gilded Drake <laughs> you can somehow get it to any of those decks. It's yeah, worth just, it. Just get just get. <laughs> if you can Gilded Drake Sheldon and the RC stuff constantly, you know, we'll support that. Yeah. <laughs> to um, be clear, we do not condone ruining people's fun to yeah, try and yeah, get yeah, things sorry. banned. Very yeah. much sarcastic. Uh, yeah, not... okay. That being so said, our, I have a hundred dollar just... bounty for every time you cast a game of drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're we're, we're, we're going to get maliciously quoted out of context, but yeah, at yeah. least we have the response prepared now. Mm. <laughs> so our, our next category we had was matchup dependency, and we did cover this to some extent. Uh, does anyone else, do we have anything else we want to say about it? You know, which is depending on the pod, you know, you're going to prioritize playing it turn one versus turn two, <laughs> which is the... even de- less depending on your hand. But, you know, if you're, you know, three rog Silas decks, you know, get that get that into play as fast as possible. It, basically, so, it just it, it boils simply down to the, um, everything is dependent on matchups <laughs> yeah. and you can't fully analyze any of these things without the matchups. So, so one, one thing I will yeah. say about matchups that we didn't cover, we, we were mostly talking about early fish with this sort of thing is is the late game fish. Um, oh, the, and, and, the worst fish to play against ever. Yeah, sandbagging. If you're if you're playing against you know mono Thrasios, Timna, you know Grindfest mirrors, then it's possible that you might want to sandbag the fish for your your you know if you open it in your your opener, you might want to just take a couple turns to develop your mana, um, get established, and then drop that on like turn three or turn four. Um, that way, it's a permanent feature of your board for the rest of the game, and it is just becomes impossible to play through. Ristic study, you that you don't really have that in uh, these kinds of games because you know it, the the tax gets easier and easier to pay for as things goes on, as the game goes on. Four, while it it does get easier to pay for, is still uh, a massive hurdle. It doesn't to, get realistic yeah, to exactly. pay for. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think also. Um... Another thing, sort of going back to looking about playing against fish as opposed to, like, when to play it in your deck, um, it it is also important to consider um, the deck that is playing the fish, because I think that's something that's often overlooked. Um, For example, like, if you're trying to do really proactive stuff, you should be more likely to respect the fish out of a deck that's, like, very controlling, like... I mean, you know, it, like the if someone's playing like Curious Control or that type of deck, um, just feeding them a bunch of cards trying to like set up to turbo off the next turn is very rarely going to work out well for you. Whereas it might work better um, if it, like it might work better if it's another proactive turbo deck, right? Like they draw a bunch of cards. If they're still paying for the fish, then, you know, they're a little bit lighter on interaction. Maybe you can force something through. Um, whereas if you're playing a more mid-rangey deck, um, maybe you can't afford to feed the turbo deck cards because they might just untap and win, but you actually can afford to feed the more controlling deck cards to establish your value engines because you're expecting the game to go, to go long. And then, you know, them having some raw number of cards initially is actually less valuable than you developing your Sylvan library or, or whatever it was. Yeah, to put that generally. Like the deck that has the remora in play, um, assuming that's not you, 
if you have an unfavorable matchup against that archetype, so like mid-range versus control or whatever, then um, maybe you should respect it. <laughs> cool. Actually, though, a really good heuristic is to just always be the player with the fish. Oh, true, true. But speaking of heuristics, uh, our, our next section is on best practice with uh, playing against fish and I guess playing with fish. Uh, and heuristic studies and what to not. So, what what are some good heuristics that we can follow? Um, you know, to to play around fish, play with fish. So, one thing that I I kind of use as a rule of thumb is I generally find I know Morgan just talked about uh, seven libraries and things. I I think it's it's if it's an early fish, it's generally worth it to give up a card to develop a uh, seven library. And it's basically always worth it to give up a car to develop your own fish or your own heuristic study or your own insane value engine of that of that degree. Um, that's my yeah. yeah. In regards to fish, um, specifically, yeah, pretty much every single CDH playable enchantment <laughs> is fine to develop. So, I think you can so actually, maybe take a turn off to to not play your carpet of flowers um, if you're trying to starve out a fish because it is it does yeah. have that ritually aspect. But I mean, again, maybe if it's just allowing, if you're if you're against a mono blue player, and then you're going to be able to use that man to actually just pay for a fish on something else, yeah. you know, then <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, I, if I there would like, literally aren't any islands. <laughs> I would say that feeding a fish like six cards to put a blood moon into play generally not. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Morgan. I actually did have. I actually did have a question that I wanted to ask here, um, sort of related. How many, with a fish in play, um, like, assume it's like turn one, turn two, whatever, how many cards would you feed the fish player to put a smothering tithe into play? I don't think more than three. Uh, yeah. But, but I would definitely you, would, would you feed consider it three? feeding them three. Depending on the texture of the pod, there are definitely pods where I would feed them three cards to put a smothering tithe. If they're player A and you're player B, I could see feeding it and kind of setting that like pace it also um, depends for me on when looking at my next turn how many cards would i have to feed them to still get that smothering tithe into play like if it goes down from you know four to one right then you know waiting is worth it if it goes down from from three to two waiting does not seem worth it mm -hmm. um uh, another another sort of heuristic thing is uh I would say, unless you need to hit land drops, please don't cast your ponders into fish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, or, like, those cantrips. That's one that, that frustrates me so much. Like, you're essentially playing a card that says, like, scry two if you cast a preordain, because you're drawing an opponent a card as well as you. Like, oh god, no, Mark, you can't make that argument because then we got the fucking the arcade denial bandwagoners on our ass. Oh god, <laughs> I think the more detrimental side man. effect of that, you know, besides nullifying your draw, is more just putting the other two players in a position where they feel like you're just disregarding and yeah, they feed. I, yeah, I feel like there is, there's, there probably shouldn't be, but realistically, there is a very large emotional aspect to the fish where every card you feed it makes your opponents feel completely justified in feeding it a card and like and uh, i don't know i it's obviously hard to like evaluate this behavior because you don't know what they would have done if you hadn't but i see like 
someone giving the fish like a quote-unquote bad feed and very often then i see more bad feeds in like of yeah. that same fish there's always the benefit of the doubt with like hidden information unfortunately yeah like like you know if one person goes like turn one you know land let's say like land imperial seal because i think imperial seal is one that is reason often I, i'd put, feed a fish in imperial seal yeah it's often very easy to justify right it's like this card is slow so casting it a turn later is like you know that means i'm not seeing the card until turn three it might be too late whatever it's one card you know it's not like anything crazy that i think is very unlikely your opponents are like unlikely to go well he plays imperial seals so you know that means i'm gonna play my git probe um whereas if you play like a preordained then they are gonna be like well you know i guess we're all just being greedy here um even even if like you know obviously two wrongs don't make a right <laughs> and but but there is that i think there is an element of an emotional aspect to the fish where where people will use bad like you feeding the fish badly to justify themselves feeding the fish badly and yeah so so you want to try and avoid giving them any reason yeah. to do that I mean, like, along the lines strategical so just a a highly strategical game generally speaking requires level-headedness and like usually you want to catch yourself making an emotional decision yeah for sure but but i mean obviously we can't we can't all be you know perfectly rational robots all the time (laughs) um yeah so along the lines of the smothering tithe discussion about a fish i want to um say i think you know getting getting effects that punish draw or make it more difficult for your opponents who the, the fish player to utilize the resources so um yeah uh, uh rule of laws or you know like a like root maze or or something or null rods or something to that effect i think that's also a very reasonable play also the benefit of of that is it also uh <laughs> it it definitely limits the amount of of fish drawing that your opponents can do if they <laughs> there if you're like oh man this guy's kind of bad he's gonna feed the fish you know five cards maybe <laughs> just play this rule of law and then he's only gonna feed it one max so <laughs> deafening silence definitely limits your opponent's ability to <laughs> feed the fish yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh any other rules for best practice besides I mean, just talking, listing the cards about, that are acceptable to play <laughs> if we're talking about deafening silence and fish i, I mean I feel like we've had this discussion on the podcast before, but the like rule of law heuristic study discussion, um, which I feel is like an interesting one to have, right? Where, um, like the potential downside of playing heuristic or uh, um, a a rule of law into heuristic studies that like it actually makes it more likely for people to skimp on paying for it because it's like, well, it's only one card a turn. And they just, like, feed it one card every turn, which is, like, more than they'd be feeding it if they were just, like, playing two cards a turn and paying for both of them. Yeah, there's, def- there's definitely an element of that, like, I think I see the same thing often with, like, Narset and Aristic Study. It's like, well, I'll just, I'll feed them the one card and then just play a bunch of spells, whereas if there wasn't the Narset, they might have just not, they would have just played one spell and paid for it or whatever. Um... I think obviously it's a little bit different with something like Narset because like you do have the option to spend more mana, um, like yeah, 
but, on other but things. Yeah, there's, but yeah, there's definitely an element of, like, imposing what seems like a limit on how many cards they're going to draw kind of makes people sometimes just play to that limit um, rather than, like, when it's unlimited, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to play around this, then when it's limited, it, they go, well, you know, I guess I'll just, I'll give them that limit because, you know, at least it's not unlimited. Yeah, that that the specific case with rule of law, I think happens a lot. Like it, that's it happens a lot less with um, like very linear decks that aren't doing like interacting much. But I think it happens a lot more with decks that are like play counter magic and are looking to interact in other people's turns because then they're just like, yeah, I'm gonna do this thing on my turn and I want to hold up mana so you can draw, and then I'm gonna counter spell this thing on your turn and I don't, I want to keep holding up mana so you can draw again, and then when I use this like removal spell in your end step, I don't have any mana left to pay for it, so you can draw again in that end step. Yeah, but I think maybe the yeah best practice play. It's acceptable to play the cards we just talked about. Don't play the cards we also talked about, and then I <laughs> and then talk. I think talking when with an early uh, uh, Mystic Remora or Ristic study to try and establish and get everyone on the same side uh, and on the same page against the the player is generally a good idea as well. Um. Yeah. Also, I would say like try not to be too on people, especially for, like, some of the more essential stuff, like... Oh, you developed... Like, I, I don't know. How dare yeah, you? <laughs> yeah, like, someone someone plays, like, they play nothing on turn one, and then, like, a two-mana rock on turn two, and you're like, oh, feeding the fish? It's like, okay, let's let's have some sense of proportion around, around like, you know, how valuable is this play to this person versus how many cards is this fish drawn? Um, you know, it's very easy to just get people, you know, essentially just wanting to ignore you or, you know, having a negative opinion of you when you're overzealous without good justification on, you know, trying to enforce people playing around it. So our final category on this subject, it's kind of a meme category, <laughs> is our fish, our Ristic study. Uh, so <laughs> this is something that that can happen in inbred metas where uh you know <laughs> if you're playing lots of grindy decks, you know how to how to counteract your opponents having fish, you can play more removal, but what's better than removing a fish? Taking a fish. So uh <laughs> <Just play> stealing <laughs> shaman exactly. for the fish that already has two age counters on it. <laughs> I mean, if it's if it's the 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 mid to late game, yeah, I don't care. I'll gladly, uh, I'll gladly keep paying that. Um, and along those lines, I've been messing around with Archmage's Charm in some of my mono blue decks uh, to look at taking uh, Mystic Remora's Carpet of Flowers, Soul Rings, that sorts of thing. And uh, it's been, it's been uh, with reasonable success. So, could yeah. you be a little bit more honest and say that you're looking at it to take Mystic Remora's Soul Rings and my Carpet of Flowers? Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you can you can try and go to that level of uh <laughs> of counter picking your meta or, or or teching your deck against the meta if you want and uh sometimes it's correct yeah okay, that, that wraps it up for our, our main topic and wait you know bef before we move on i have one more one more fish hypothetical sure 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 uh you're you're going second the person going first plays land fish your hand is land, mana dork, lotus petal, fish. What do you do? 
uh, land dork pedal fish. All of it. I'm surprised. I thought I was going to be the only one with that answer. <laughs> no, for sure. I'm I'm far too greedy to not just. What if what if the people yeah, after you are, the are what if you, the people after you are very likely to be like playing dorks and not feeding the fish? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll, I'll play dork first. In that case. Wait, are they oh, are they, like, they yeah. are they on Timna? Are they dork? Do Timna I have decks? my second land drop in hand, Morgan? Yeah, yeah. Are they uh, dork? Then I'm Timna more, decks? Then I'm more or, inclined they, to go. Are they dork? Sorry, decks I didn't mean. With... I, sorry, I didn't mean like your hand is four cards, land dork, petal fish. I meant are... like those are the cards under consideration here. Your hand has, you know, a piece of interaction, a ca- another land, and a tutor or whatever. Like, okay. not you're in this desperate yeah, situation. I'd probably still go back to the matchup dependency, but. Just on the surface, so I kind of just based on the decks I play, that kind of seems great. <laughs> yeah, are they? But yeah, are actually like a big thing for me is like, is it a? Are they dork decks with like a two or three mana commander? One of them is. One of them isn't. <laughs> <laughs> nice split the difference. Yeah, I, I. In that case, I mean, I probably just uh, dork first and then fish on turn two then. Greed Lord Reed over here with his. <laughs> no, because I mean, uh, seriously, like if no, I agree, like, I agree. if it, it if they're sense, yeah. if they're both thrust him to decks, <laughs> like tr- and you I'm, can start like, out the fish and then stick yeah. yours a turn later with with yeah more development. You just mana, like hold the really fish good, forever yeah. because like they're probably gonna go like dork Timna, and yeah. then like probably even like Thrasios on the turn after that or whatever. <laughs> so you could just like hold the fish forever. Okay, so that wraps it up for our main topic, and uh, and that means it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Gut Check! Gut Check! Gut Check! Gut Check! Wait, I thought for this one we were going to synchronize it. Oh, no. We did get called out for a complete inability to (laughs) synchronize our Gut Checks. Okay, I feel like calling it an inability isn't fair because we never tried to synchronize. <laughs> so yes, but I'm also not disputing that we have an inability to synchronize on it. <laughs> now, Morgan, Morgan will just will just fix that in post, dude. He's gonna he's gonna line up all yeah. the tracks so that we're all saying gut check at the same time, and it's gonna just. Although I, I will say, you guys has no context. Matt already knows, but there actually was a non-zero amount of energy in the gut check. On the last episode, on the two episode, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen that far yet, but there was some energy put into me saying cut checks. Had so, to make so up for that, it. server first. sample. Nice. Take that sample and just copy it into every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, I have a I have a brand to uphold. This 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 week's gut check is uh, one that isn't exactly going to translate well for like a poll question. Uh, so sorry, Reed, God about that. God damn it! Okay, I just, I just, okay, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm gonna air some dirty laundry here because of this. I've, I've been on Linden for like, like months at this point to like come up with better gut checks for like our Discord to vote on. So that we're, we're on episode like, fifty, dude. We're out of all the just, gut checks. Just terribly <laughs> formatted like Discord polls for this stuff. And he just refuses yeah. to improve it at all. He's just like, no, no, I gotta do the <laughs> most open ended ones I, I could possibly agree, do and make it you, a you nightmare for one, you to try to figure out. <laughs> you gotta be the one coming up with gut checks now if you've got such high demands. <laughs> or maybe I just make Lyndon do the Reddit do the Discord posts <laughs> every <laughs> every time I post it. <laughs> okay, so this week's gut check uh, 
It's a bit of a weird one. So what decks that you guys are kind of known for playing or you, you play a lot, do you know for sure you aren't going to be taking to Tier 1 Con, the, the main event, and why? Oh Thrasios boy, Bruce. that's a long list. Because it doesn't run black. <laughs> uh, definitely not coal, not brawls. Unfortunately. Definitely not for alls, Reed? <laughs> definitely definitely not definitely not for alls. Definitely okay. not for alls. And <laughs> definitely not Cole. Well. Uh let's see. I will not be bringing Holland Calamax, Cass, Moldrotha, um what else do I play? Vanifar. Uh Vanifar, um, <laughs> Olivia slash Chainer. Uh, do I kick our? Just want to side note there. It's kind of honestly so unfortunate how badly positioned Kess is now. I don't know. I mean, feels bad. Honestly, it's like I feel like Kess is is pretty underrated. Like, I I'm still not even convinced it's not the best Grixis commander. Um, but mm. it's it's definitely like. I think that honestly, like Grixis is just it, as a Grixis commander, it's like very hard to justify over just going up a color either into into like Thrasios Vile or or Icrom or um or into like Timnacrom type stuff. Um, like I think I think both of those are yeah sort of pretty obviously a lot better than what what Kess offers and like. Well, something like a Nala, or, or like, um, or Rog Silas, or, or Vile Smasher, um, Malcolm. I I don't necessarily think are obviously better than Kess. They have like something unique about them that you that you lose when you go, when you go up colors like that, um, and and so it's like much easier to justify playing them. Hmm. Matt, what about you? A little side point. Oh, sorry. I, uh, I maybe you missed it. I immediately said I'm not bringing Frass Bruce because it's it doesn't play black. Ah, okay. <laughs> so myself, I will not be bringing Gitrog, and I will not be bringing um, Baral or any of my other mono blue decks. I don't think. And and main reason is that you know while it was fun to play those, um, I played the Gitrog in, in tournaments before played um brawl in the last in like the tier one I guess qualifier or what i don't know what they're they were called the webcam series stuff um and it ended decently well the deck isn't just the decks are not that good and even though i'm i'm comfortable with them have lots of experience uh i i'm just i think i'd rather take my chances playing a better deck at an event with such high stakes Oh yeah, I'm not taking yeah. a Nala. I'm not taking Thrasios and a Deer. Like I'm gonna be on something with four colors in it at least. That's yeah, I'm confident about that. Yeah. Um, one of my three top choices right now, um, has three colors. The other are four. Yeah. So I mean, so. notably, Morgan didn't say 
the deck that he didn't. Well, the, the in, among Morgan's many list list of decks, he did not uh, mention the deck that he had won initially with. So you know, maybe keep an eye out. And now you guys know what to <laughs> counter pick against us. So I mean, uh, that being said, he also game to most us. certainly didn't mention Tazri Zerda. So gotta keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> oh, yes, that is true. You know what? I'll do it. I'm crazy. <laughs> well, you, you'll uh, actually purchase a Tazri to go play in Tier 1 Gone with. Amazing. Mm, <laughs> what a hard sell. Okay, I might have to rethink this one. Cool. So that does it for a gut check. Um, and if you guys want to let us know, I guess I guess you could just, put, instead of answering a poll on our Discord, you could go to our Discord and you could just tell us what decks you are or aren't going to play. I mean, maybe don't just tell us every single deck you aren't going to play. But uh, it, what maybe what you guys are thinking of taking to tier one con, um, or what decks you think would be would be worth taking? That'd be that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, actually, no, no, our... you guys should oh. vote on what decks we're not taking to tier one con. Not what decks you think we shouldn't take to tier one con, but which decks we actually are not taking to tier one con. Who yeah, has the best not deck options. to take, or who's taking the? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, so yeah, onto listener questions. Cats? Uh, on to listener questions uh, so we have this question coming in to us from Big Cat so Big Cat asks how do y'all feel about people abusing the priority system in CDH example player C asked if player D and player A had any responses to player B's spell when we said no and that it resolved he said well I haven't passed priority I just asked if you had responses so That's like just... the the ambiguous uh, asking in a way that makes it seem as if you're passing priority and then, like, we're trying to walk that back, I feel like that's sort of scummy and, like, isn't something that should be encouraged at all. But I certainly think it's reasonable to, before you pass priority, to make it explicit that you're not passing priority, but ask the rest of the table. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that a lot of the time you, like... I, a lot of the time I also don't like that, unless you have, like, a very specific reason... Um, I think but a like, legitimate reason could be that your your type of interaction is narrow. I, I know this has happened before with fluster storms, where you're like, "Listen, I can interact, but my spell is only going to get better to interact with the, the, this thing as as the you know the turn progresses more." So like that those kind of instances make sense to me. But you know, if it's like yeah, I don't like, want to like, use my force of will, like oh, come on, yeah, man. like there certainly are instances of like, you know, I can. You know, I have like a fluster storm that's not good right now, but might be very, very good later. Or something like, um, if we're like truly desperate, I'll consult for interaction. Um, but you know, stuff where it's just basically like, hey, do you have something? And you're like looking at a swan song in your hand. Like, I I don't know that. I feel like that's just trying to play on your opponent's unwillingness to lie, um, rather than you know just like taking the risk of. I'm not going to spend my interaction. I'm going to be greedy. Um, but definitely being ambiguous about the communication and like trying to get your opponents to commit to something under false pretenses of where you are in the game. Uh, no, that's that's very much not cool in my book. Agree. Agree. Uh, anyone have anything else to say about this? Or shall we move on to our second Just to question? And if you're unsure what they're doing, just ask if they pass priority. That's yeah. the it's actually it's actually like not even a bad response to uh someone asked. It's not like, a bad do response you have anything? to anything. Are you passing priority? <laughs> yeah, do you yeah. have anything? Did you pass priority? Like 
or just being like you have priority until they say otherwise then mm-hmm. so our next listener question comes to us from bending guy and bending guy yeah. asks how do you feel about blocking lethal attacks with no way of surviving on your own is it a spike play hmm yeah i feel like i have a very like quick point um or just rule like uh, if there's any reasonable chance that you could survive based on your opponents having open mana and like that block, like let's just say they would have a removal spell and that block would matter, then yes, absolutely block every single time because you always played your outs. You don't like it. It might seem ridiculous that your one of your opponents might save you, but um, yeah, benefit of the doubt there. Uh, but there are definitely uh, yeah, some I... cases that like yeah. Sorry, you go. I I would say that like you your blocks should try and try and like maximize something that makes sense in the context of of combat so that might be um i'm going to minimize incoming damage that makes a certain amount of sense or like i'm going to minimize the number of unblocked attackers which makes it easier for someone to like intervene and save you yeah or, or or things like that. Um, or like I'm I'm gonna like, block everything that's not the piece that somebody else might want gone. Like there's yeah, like th- there's an like idol that. of rhetoric swinging at me, plus like a bunch of warriors or, or like whatever yeah. or like dorks. I'm gonna block everything that's not the idol on. If somebody wants to remove the idol on, they can save me by doing so. But if it is something that you want gone, then definitely still block it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's an element of like, for example, if someone swung out at swung for lethal at me i had like a bunch of dorks whatever and they swung with like wandering archaic and a bunch of tutus i i think that like piling four things in front of the wandering archaic to kill it and leaving like six unblocked tutus when you're at four is like yeah i'm not that's iffy I, i don't think that's like that that feels to me like you're moving out of I'm trying to make, like, a rational block for whatever chance I have of not dying and into I'm trying to, you know, exact some revenge or punishment for someone so, someone killing now, me. If that, I, that, I think, now, that being said, if the, if you can make, like, a deal with somebody at the table where it's like, I will block to kill this one or a kick if you cast your zealous persecution to get rid of the tokens or whatever, then, like, sure. But, yeah, it, it's it's about, like, actually reasonably playing to your outs and not playing for spite. So I think I think there's there but there's also an aspect of So I I, I can I can see both your your argument working, but I can also see like what if right before they go to their declare attacks you say, if you swing out with me for lethal, let's say they need to send the wandering archaic in, you say, I'm gonna block the wandering archaic. I'm gonna kill the wandering archaic if you swing out for lethal at me. Like is that a spike play? Uh, I mean, yes. Is yeah. it a spike play if you say if you swing for lethal at me, I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy your Ristic study? I, I, I like I I legitimately I I it's a question that I'm I I don't have an answer to because I think that with lethal attacks it's you as the lethal attacker I am always considering that when I'm attacking that I'm going to I'm factoring in what I'm going to lose. I'm assuming they're going to block all my best stuff. That and I'm I'm so, going to lose like if I have to kill someone by attacking in with an opposition agent, I'm assuming I'm going to lose the opposition agent. I'm not assuming I'm just going to get someone like take them down to zero for free. So yeah, I guess with with that logic, like I it to me it from my 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 perspective, saying that you know like taking out someone's heuristic study as you're going out seems like a spike play. But if you say before they do that that you're gonna that's what you're gonna do, like 
I don't know. Like it, because to me, it's to me, it doesn't seem a spite play with the lethal attacker scenario, but it more seems that with the Ristic study scenario. Although they seem very equivalent, so that that's what yes. it's causing me a lot of internal conflict. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, sorry, go ahead, man. If it's if it's two equal lethal attackers and you choose between a wandering archaic and a vanilla token with the same power toughness, for instance, then I think it makes sense to be playing to your outs and blocking the wandering archaic because it is generically going to be a nuisance for practically every single deck. And if you do have another turn, you're definitely going to not want there to be a wandering archa archaic there. But I think going like I think before blocks, kind of making a statement like that is a bit. Is it, it's not maybe it's not spite, but it's definitely not. You're trying to make manners. a you're trying to play to win because you're trying to make it costly for your opponent to take you out of the game, which but to like me does once, not seem like out of spite. But once they've committed, then like once they've committed and you're dead, making it costly for them to take you out of the game is. No, but yeah, I mean, I think spite, I think right? I think I, this is where I I would draw the line, which is it seems like a very weird place to draw the line, but if I say I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. If I haven't said anything about it, it seems like a spike play. Which seems very weird and arbitrary, but yeah, that's kind of where I, I fall on it. I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily think someone was spiting me if they didn't explicitly say that they were going to block my best stuff, given equal blockers. No, if, given equal blockers, but what if it's like, what if it was the scenario Morgan said with, with the, the two, two tokens? Yeah. Yeah, then that's, then, you, then you're not playing to your outs. Like, what's more likely... In that scenario, it's well, definitely I, that I think a more likely have, like, scenario would be that my opponent would not want to attack me to lose their wandering or kick than that some random opponent would save me. Unless I make once, a deal for but that. But, like, that's not how the game works, right? Like, they, they either attack you or you don't, and then you have to make your block decision after. You can say what you're going to do all you want. Yeah, but, but I, I, think, I think sticking to one's word and what, they're, what you say you're going to do is an important aspect right, of the game. Right, my argument yeah. would be that you shouldn't say that. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I, I think... Yeah, I I I don't I don't isn't follow the, this. I don't agree with that. I don't think. Isn't the assumption but, that the opponent makes a, a correct assessment and um expects you to block their wandering archaic? Because, yes, I, I think uh, that's, that's playing to their yeah. outs. So but, going ahead and saying it is, in that sense, like not really the game, right? And the way that more. Well, I guess it depends on if blocking the wandering archaic is quote unquote an out. Like you could also argue that in that case you should with something like wandering archaic, um, you know, not blocking it gives your opponents like, more of an incentive to save you by removing it than, like, a vanilla 4-4. Um, I, like, I, so I agree that, like, to an extent, when you engage in combat with creatures, you're exposing them to risk, which isn't true in the, like, Ristic Study disenchant scenario. Like, attacking someone isn't putting, like, you're not saying, I'm exposing this ristic study to extra risk by attacking you know from a flash blocker or like a removal spell to save yourself so i i get that there is a difference i guess i'm like kind of in the same boat as you linden where like i think you should be able to block and kill stuff but i'm not exactly sure how to draw the line about what blocks are acceptable versus like the Ristic yeah. Study thing, I mean, which to me is clearly unacceptable. I think in the Wandering Archaea case, I think it's pretty reasonable to assume that the only way you can get rid of it in this scenario is by blocking it. Uh, where with, like, the Nature's Claim Ristic Study scenario, you can wait until later, most likely. That can't possibly be the only moment to deal with it. Yeah, I, I think yeah, Morgan... Which, yeah, you're, we're, we're, which we're, is, we're like, exposing boats. it to risk. I think we're in, we're in similar boats, but it seems that we're kind of going in opposite directions where i think the 
uh, for you, the Ristic study scenario is informing your your kind of thoughts on blocking, whereas for me, it's almost like my thoughts on blocking might be informing my kind of take on the Ristic study scenario, where it's like I might now be questioning whether or not it is spite play to kind of announce that if you attack me, I'm going to blow up your Ristic study, where which which still feels very spiteful to me, but now I'm starting to question it more because of how I feel about lethal blocks. Maybe I'm just like, based on, I don't know, I guess the way that we play and where we active, like openly discuss threat assessment as a table, um, maybe like that's polluting my mind a bit where if I'm, my expectation is that everyone's trying to make the most like properly assessed move. And I'm not. I don't. I don't feel the obligation to go ahead and say like, yeah, what I'll do when that's the expectation that you understand that already. Yeah, like I. I yeah, I, th- I agree. I think that the expectation is already that if I'm making, if the person is making that attack, they've are they're already expecting to lose their archaic, and they've evaluated that. I, I feel like that's yeah. how it how it is most of the time in, in the games that I play. Yeah. yeah so it doesn't. So yeah, I, I, you shouldn't feel like that's a spite play then if you don't announce it ahead of time, based on that logic, right? Yeah. But like are they should they be expecting to lose their archaic if like I mean you know it 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 just seems a little bit weird to me that like for example if they had two more health or like if you had two more health like assume the scenario is constructed in such a way that if you had two more health you could actually survive by jumping the archaic and blocking other stuff it seems weird to me like I guess essentially the idea that it's like, oh, well, I'm actually dead as opposed to nearly dead means I get to, you know, kill more of your stuff. I, I can't not see that as, as at yeah. least partially spiteful. I guess you can also make your political calls to Savior before the, the, the blockers are declared anyway, right? You can project ahead and say, hey, actually, if I did this type of block, would anyone have an answer? And... I think, I mean, at that point, there's pretty much no reason why another player might withhold that information until after blocks are declared, right? Because they yeah. kind of want to use their removal favorably. Yep, like, oh, I'll, so it could be I'll spite then. Block to kill the archaic, and then you can, you know, you can pyroblast their crom, and then I don't die, and the archaic's gone, and everyone yeah. wins. I, don't know. Um, I think, personally, I, my my kind of concept of spite play has been challenged a lot recently and i've kind of been you know unsure on, on where i fall on things now and and i think one of the like one of the things that i kind of just feel more or less to be true is that if you're making a play because you think it increases like if you're playing to win and playing to win like it, it, it to me it boils down to a lot of of what the person is is thinking internally um which is something i, I think it's just hard to objectively but put objective criteria to what is a spike play. Uh, that's kind of Definitely. the case where yeah. I've been. Okay. I've well, been Lennon, could you yeah. knock it off? Because this introspective and nuanced content is not what our listeners are here yeah. for. So. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're, they're to listen to four people play. just boo, talk boo, boo, over boo, each boo. other for an hour and a half. Dude, exactly. There's nothing in they the want us about angry no and opinionated. And... <laughs> Comprehensive spites. We just need to recreate. Reed, I, I, the, you're uh, you're a bit quiet. Do you want to chime in on anything? Or? Yeah, I mean, I I think, uh, my my opinion on it is um very anti philosophical, unfortunately enough, which is um <laughs> really uh 
my opinion on it in an abstract sense, uh, like most things on the borderline with CDH is, quite honestly, if you're in that position and you have consistent reasoning and logic for the play that you made and you truly believe that it was in your best interest, um, I, I think that's enough for me. Other people can disagree I, with that. And I mean, no, I'm, I they would have disagreements, you, yeah. but it's just, yeah. like if, if you have internal consistency and you truly believe that it was the best play at the time or the play that had the highest DP for you, then you make the play and you just accept anything that comes with it. Yeah. I, I, I've, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think I agree a lot with, with Reed on this. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. If you guys like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at IntoTheNorthPod, by our email, IntoTheNorthPodcast at gmail.com, or on our Discord server, the invite, the invite link for which can be found in the description for this episode. An extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a patron, we are at patreon.com slash IntoTheNorthPodcast. Another way you can support us is via our TCG Player affiliate link. So anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, if you use our affiliate link, which is in the podcast slash YouTube description, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast, and we appreciate it greatly. Thank you as always to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, to Nate Slubber for our equally lovely podcast logo, and to our video editor, Manta Ray Hat. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, 